ladies and gents, proclamation of endurance, discovering arts and humanities, module A11, reading the book, crossing boundaries, on page 238, so we've got now it's reading, we're looking at the chapter 5.1, the arrival of Benin, art in Europe, page, page 238, race and culture, as you saw in chapter 2, the island, and chapter 3, music and protest in South Africa. The political system in 20th century South Africa was based on a system of racial segregation in which everyone was assigned to a racial group. This drew on long-standing European ideas about differences between peoples. In the 19th century, a great deal of effort was put into investigating and identifying possible physical and genetic differences that might be used to classify ethnic groups. And the term race was widely used to describe these categories partly because these differences were largely imagined. The term was used very loosely, so that, for instance, English and Irish people were at times described as different races. Importance was attached to such investigations because many believed that the races they identified had different characters and abilities, and that would explain differences that we that we now see to be cultural as a result. The term race was used in ways that seem up to, to us now and seemed few at a time. Imprecise and contradictory, furthermore, since the significance of race was debated. Different writers used the term in different ways for nearly all. However, positions were based on an assumption of European superiority and much of the language is seen as being offences and races today. The term culture was also used in ways that may surprise us. One way it is used today is to describe the distinctive ideas and identity of a social group. Some writers of the late 19th century used it in this way too, although they were perhaps more confident than many people today collective ideas and identity of a social group, such as ethnic group or nation, can be described but for others, the term is not different from race, since they assume the cultural differences could be explained by physical one as a result. The terms were most almost interchangeable, even where decisions were framed in terms of culture rather than race. They were based on the assumptions of the racial hierarchy. Such ideas become influential in the new science of anthropology which was concerned with the study of peoples through a close analysis of human society and through comparisons between cultures over time. By the late 1880s, many British anthropologists would have agreed the leading scientist, Edward Brunette Tyler, that all peoples would succeed each other in a series of substantially uniform across the globe, despite the difference in level of civilization they had reached, quoted in Stocking, 1998, page 8. Within this broader evolution tradition, there was important differences. Some British anthropologists focusing on exploring possible links between cultural differences and physical characteristics and highlighted states of progress. Others, such as Taylor, focused more on the comparison of customs in different cultures. Most, however, fitted their ideas within a framework where evolution and survival were the key concepts. At first, Darwin's ideas had less influence in Germany, where anthropology, or the term more often used, anthropology, had different origins. The discipline of history 
and the study of different cultures had strong roots in German universities and this gave a more cultural focus to new discipline and also less emphasis on change and adaption. A distinction was made between culture of Volker, literary peoples within culture, the nature of Volker, natural peoples, often translated as primitive peoples, who were not literate and so on, no documentary records for historians to study. Primitive peoples were of interest, particularly when they had little contract with Europeans, since it was believed that their societies changed less. And it was hoped that how they lived could throw light on early development in humanity. Without text to study, the artifacts were prized for they could reveal the culture. Empheologists spoke of slavaging artifacts from museums before the Western influence destroyed non literate cultures. Penny 2002, page 12. Looking at the transport of artworks out in Benin. 1897 is photographed by HS, the Mission British Museum, the trustees of the British Museum. This is the world in which Europeans first came to aware of the art of Benin. As a photograph, figure 2 shows the artworks were removed by Benin with little attention given of the nature of the objects or the way that they had been used. But as the looted objects, as the looted objects, treasures of Benin City began to arrive in London in the first half of 1897. They had developed an atmosphere of intensive rivalry between museums and collectors, and the artefacts were separated out and sold. The Horniman Museum seems to have acquired its first objects from Benin, as early as April 1897. Whilst in May, a London dealer sold items to leading British collector Augustus Pitt Rivers, Plankensteiner. News of the artefacts took longer to reach Germany, but one of the most determined of the collectors. Felix von Luschan first became aware of the sale of Benin artefacts in August 1897, when one was displayed by Justus Brinkman of the Hamburg Museum of Arts Crafts. Von Luschan immediately proceeded to London, where he participated in auctions and contacted dealers. Looking at William D. The Webster with carved ivory tusks, British Museum, London. Webster was one of the foremost dealers in Benin artefacts in London and corresponded with von Lachan. Von Lachan's main aim was to acquire pieces of the, for the museum where he worked, the Royal Museum of the Empology in Berlin. But he also directed items to friends working at other German museums. If not, to his great rival, Brinkham. He and his collaborators were astonished. They were able to acquire so much. One fund of writing to him is actually a riddle to me that the English let such things go. Either they have too many of them already or they have no idea what these things mean for anthology. Cultural history and art history quoted in Penny. Over time, von Lachan was to be spectacularly successful in his life work. The free volume, Die Altuma von Benin. Antiques of Benin. He estimates that there were some 2,400 Benin artifacts in Europe, in which 580 were in Benin, Berlin Museum, with as many again in other 
the German museums compared to just 280 held by the British Museum. Two, four, three questions of display. The sheer number of items from Benin that leading museums collected meant that showing them soon become a problem. This was compounded by different views on how to display them. Pitt Rivers, whose collection forms the basis of the anthropology, Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford, and who was particularly interested in the development of weapons, advocated what he described as a typological approach, in which spears, arrows and other weapons from around the world might be shown together to demonstrate common forms, Chapman 1988, page 23, using a metaphor borrowed from Darwinians, he visualised display. In a tree form, the different cultures being taken to present the building twigs and foliages and implements from different people in a state of rested development. Money and used to illustrate stages low down in the soil near the beginning of human development, quoted in Chapman 1988. In practice, of course, weapons that could only show a single line of development were not available and displays did not end up as neat as Pitt Rivers desired. Good morning, Mike Infology had a higher academic standing, standard in Germany, that in Britain, and resulted not only in more money for acquisitions, but also more investment in museums. Berlin, in particular, benefited from royal uh, patronage, and the new Royal Museum of Enthology was opened to the public in 1886. However, from the beginning, the new museum threatened to be overwhelmed by the size of its collections. Von Lesham reported that the Africa's and O Senior section alone had 14,676. Now you are, buddy, no problem, mate. Have a good day, buddy. It's nice, nice and warm, mate. I'm meeting Zoe today, so I'll be on live. Artifacts of the museum, when the museum opened by 1899, the number of items had quadrupled without any extra space. Even before it was open, we had the concerns that the museum would not be large enough and soon become unmanageable with com uh, confused displays, lost artefacts and closed sections. This was particularly due to the obsession with collecting, but also related to the preserved purpose of the museum. To the first director, Adolf Bastian, a leading figure in Germany, Empology, the primary purpose of the museum was not education, but research, and it was also to be achieved in bringing together, in the words, the monstrous mass necessary to sufficiently represent in a systematic, systematic mythological order in mythological provinces of the earth, in their full extent, Zimmerman. The first step in mythological research had to be collection and classification development over-arching over theories such as evolutionary argument remains mere metaphysical illusion unless good morning Ma, unless knowledge of the details has been accumulated in this museum therefore little emphasis were placed on interpreting artefacts of the public instead viewers were expected to gain real understanding for the viewing supported only by the descriptive labels such as the museum made little sense of visiting public and by 19 uh, 1,900 of the chaos was openly criticised in Berlin press. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning, Ra. Well, shame not done this way today. But um, Zoe's popping up today. I've got um, I've got a bit of reading. Oh, my brother's asleep. 
Ah, oh, shame you got work. You could have come down. Um, Zoe's coming as well. Uh, if I, if we're going over the uh, country park. I think she's coming at 11. I got not bother really, don't I? So, I can't sing this morning to sleep. I, th I think I can even, I think you went to bed about four. Ah, oh, that's a shame. The problems. <laughs> I'll do some singing while it works. If you're going at lunchtime, I'll do some singing if she ain't here. Problems encountered by the Berlin Museum were noted elsewhere in Germany and curators of other museums, often with less funding and more insistent municipal authorities, began to look for ways to display these treasures. That were more appealing to the public. One of the most successful was Willie Foe, who became curator of a new ethnographic museum in Cologne in 1906 and choose to order displays in far more a didactic way with a clear narrative, tidy cabinets and uncluttered rooms to order his collection. Foy turned a new anthropological theory diffusion which looked for shared cultural traits that, it was argued, only could only be explained by transmission from one society to another. It is a shame, uh, well... If come down another day, come down another day, Sandy down the road. And with the evolutionism, diffusionism made it possible to order cultures, cultures in hierarchically, focusing, however, not on different rates of progress along a common path, but on other ways the, the ideas and methods might be transferred from less to le uh, more to less civilised societies. Such diffusions were suggested if then rejected, in the Times article you looked at earlier, in Foe's Cologne Museum. The first room visitors entered displayed items from societies that were seen as the most primitive, such as those of Australia and New Guinea, and then passed through Africa and Americas, ending the East Asia. Germany had become a colonial power in the 1880s, and the narrative of Foe's exhibition fitted well with the imperial ideas, a point he was happy to highlight. Arguing in the museum guide that anthology could be of service to the colonists and officials. This is in Penny 2010, page 113. Oh, nice one, that'd be great. The museum was popular with the public and therefore the authorities. Foy's approach aroused considerable interest across Germany, but British museum creators, but also aware that the developments there in reading 5.13 is an extract from the book by Henry Ling. Roth, a director of Bankfield Museum in Halifax and brother to the doctor who accompanied the Penative Expedition of 1897, published in 1903. In the extract, Roth laments the British government's failure to fund the permanent acquisition of what he calls the bronze for the British Museum in Bloomsbury. Read through it now. Why does he think that permanent display of the art in Benin in London is important? Roth thinks it is that such artefacts are important to study or anthropology or the study of the native races, knowledge that he sees being important for successful international trade and imperial government. Such knowledge would be un enable the officials to govern and trade more effectively. He also concerned that with its acquisition of African art, Germany will surpass British scientific knowledge and gain imperial and economic superiority. Both reasoning shows how entwined cultural, national and imperial politics were in the 1890s. The British Museum and the Benin Antiquities The end of the 19th century 
the British Museum had become, and remains this day, the UK's uh, the host of the major collection of art, treasures and the artefacts in the UK, founded in 1759, also become a form of the exhibition of antiquities from around the world during the 19th century together its counterparts in France and Germany. It emerged as one of the world leaders in their collection, preservation and display. The museum promoted itself both as a keeper of the world's history and as a benevolent educator. As the new discipline of the anthropology emerged, the sought scientific recognition. It developed strong links with the British Museum. The two creators at the museum responsible for the ethnological collections, Charles Herkels Reed and Ormond Maddock Dalton, were closely involved in the main professional body. The Anthropological Institute both worked hard to upgrade the status of the collection, which gradually changed to reflect the scientific concerns of the anthropologist and include objects and art from, from Africa. The 1899 Guide to the Expedition Galleries of the British Museum claimed that ethnography was the study of manners and customs of particular peoples and the development was from savagery towards civilization. The purpose together is to enable us to understand by what methods man, in his early efforts of development towards civilization, supplies the wants of existence, protects his life, expresses religious idea, and gradually advances towards the cultivation of industrial and ornamental arts. Displays of spears, shields, pots and utensils were used to represent ideas about how so-called primitive races lived. Artwork was seen somewhat differently as being evidence of progress and civilization. As such, the British Museum was keen to acquire some of the objects from Benin for the contribution they made to the history of humanity, not least because they could help put their collections on the map. However, fitting the Benin artefacts into the established theories, its progress was not easy. From 1897 onwards, there was considerable debate about their origin among collectors, anthropologists and the art of historians in Britain and Germany. The skill, craftsmanship and aesthetic qualities shown in the artworks did not fit with the sensational stories of human sacrifice and brutality, or with existing stereotypes of Africa and Africans. One solution was to argue that the skills necessary to create the artworks had been introduced from elsewhere. Brinkenham and of Hamburg Museum of Arts and Crafts speculated that they had evidence of contact between Benin and the more civilised peoples of the ancient Egypt. Plankensteiner 2007-2006 Pick Rivers argued that they could have only have been as a result of the European influence, probably as a consequence of the contact with the Portuguese in the 16th century. Roth, on the other hand, whilst acknowledging that there was considerable difference between the crude casting of the average native African and beautiful results from Benin, quoted in Coombs, Good Morning Jack, 1994, concluded in 1898, after detailed study of the castings, that the technique for the production predated the arrival of the Portuguese. This conclusion caused a stir of the rough, arguing the bronzes of the African's origin alone. Combs, 1994, as you from the chapter 4.1 of this book, although dating the sculptures from the Benin remains difficult, this is now seen as probable. Probable. In the detailed study, antiquates from the city of Benin 
from the other parts of the Western African and British Museum, published in 1899. Reed, Reed and Dalton also argued for a purely African origin of the bronzes. In the earlier work, they had argued that the skill of craftsmanship of Benin produced work equal to the Italian Renaissance of the 15th and 16th centuries and dated the artworks from the mid-16th centuries, around the time of the arrival of the Portuguese. Their 1899 study drew both on all accounts of local Benin leaders collected by Captain Rupal of the British Expeditionary Force, which provided clear evidence of the ancient history of Benin society and a closer analysis of the artworks. They conclude that the Benin casting probably emerged independently of European and Egyptian influence. Combs, 1994 to page 57. This is also the conclusion of von Lucien, the foremost expert of the artworks. The German, while many anthropologists influenced the defunctionist thinking proposed non-African origins, von Lucien declared that their style was purely African, through and exclusively out-and-out African. It was quoted in Eisenhofer. The acknowledgement that the plaques and the other artworks had local origins has, however, often accompanied by the emphasis of their antiquity and the term read an adult and a non-lution in their title of the books. Good morning, dear. One way to resolve the conflict between the preserved current barbarity and the former Jesus were to stress the absence of a re, uh, recent piece of the same quality. Your art, artworks may be seen as relics and antiquities. You're fine, baby. Coming up still. The artworks may be seen as relics and antiquities, objects that demonstrated an African civilization now long gone. As we shall see from the commentators, this become an argument that Benin has degenerated into a savage brutality society on contact with European. Oh my goodness, we're going to get to see this lovely, wonderful Zoe Essex. We're excited, my brother's asleep at the moment. Yeah, that's right, that's no problem. No problem, I'll cook you dinner or whatever, we'll go to that park as well. No problem, girl. We've got loads, our man got loads of shopping in, didn't he? We knew he was coming. <laughs> Bless him. Two, page 250. It's got a bit of reading to go, and I'm going to be with you. Encyclopedia. Britannica. Newspapers and museums were not the only institution that helped to define our artwork from Benin, should be understood. Reading 5.14. Hang on, fast. Ladies and gentlemen, going back to it. Revival of Benin art and in Europe, the Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, Britannica. Newspapers and museums were not only institutions that helped to define our artworks from Benin, should be understood. Reading 5.14. Is an extract from. Hello, Jay. The Encyclopedia of Britannica. Newspapers and museums are not the only institution that help to define how artwork from Benin should be understood. Reading 5.1.4 is an extract from the 11th edition in the Encyclopedia Britannica, published in 1910 11. This text reflects racist views that were widely current at the time, as suggested in the introduction to this book. When approaching offensive materials such as this, it is important that you apply your skills in reading historical documents and your knowledge of the context when undertaking a close reading of the text. Such an approach can be useful 
way to tackle text that arouse a strong response. The activity, we're going to read the extract from the Encyclopedia Britannica, reading 514, and answer the following questions. Who is the article written by and how is your authority shown in the entry of the Encyclopedia? Can you identify the influence of the scientists' ideas about how, how race, how these are ideas used in the century? How does the author use Benin artwork in the argument? How valuable is a source of the study of the British and African history? The Encyclopedia Britannica was and still is presented to readers as a comprehensive account of recent knowledge of the key subjects. Prepared by experts in this field. The article was written by the T.A. Joyce. His authority is shown by the status as assistant at the Department of the um, Ethnography and the British Museum as a secretary of the Anthropographical Society. As such, as such, he will be taken familiar with the debate about the origins of the Benin artwork described uh, as bronzes. However, he writes a manner that will give us little indication of debate. There is no struggle that the evidence or arguments he, he, he presents are controversial or contested. The text contains evidence of the influence of theories of evolution. The entry attempts to chart the progress of the Negro physically and mentally on the evolutionary plane in relation to the white man. Joyce, 1910-11, page 334. Physical, physical characteristics are taken as being evidence of mental and cultural capabilities. The comparison with children also suggests a process of development. If one has been stunned in all this, we can see the influence of evolutionary anthropological ideas that seize races on the path of progress. In which white race has got the furthest? Joyce accepts that bronzes are evidence of skills craftsmanship, but suggests they are also a result of Port Portuguese contact. He goes on to argue they may be made of centuries ago. And the use of these evidence that African craftsmen were unable to maintain equality once European influence had disappeared. The value of the source depends on how you wish to use it. It's obviously not a good source for the study of Af African history. As it's clearly informed by racist stereotypes, however, it does provide an insight of how the knowledge of about South Africa was produced and communicated in Britain at the time. In particular, the entry shows how much debated and controversial race ideas were often presented to the public as authoritative. It is difficult to know how such material was interpreted by readers at the time, especially since the same edition carried other articles such as one by Taylor titled Anthropology, which treated ethnic differences in a different way to Joyce. Institutions such as museums and encyclopedias are important mechanisms of disseminating information about science and history, helping to define accepted knowledge and integrating new scholarship and established theories. Such scholarship was often contested, evolutionary and diffusionist explanations of progress differed and both starkly distinguish from more traditional ideas of unchanging differences between races yet competing ideas might all accept a common framework in this case the assumption of the superiority of the European culture 
In the case of the Blean artworks, we can see conflicting attempts to explain how such sophisticated artworks might be produced, however, despite the differences between theories, all shared a common assumption that the emergence of such artworks from the continent identified as backward needed to be explained. Can you remember the, the Godiwog was banned as well? Looking at, you know, the things, racial things are getting banned over years. Godiwog was not one of the latest things to be banned in art history. Um, the rival of the Benin art in Europe, African sources. Edward Wilmot Blyden, 19th century photograph. As we saw in chapter 4.2, Benin was a non-literate society and there were no Benini written accounts from scholars to draw on. Although Reed and Dalton did draw on some oral accounts collected by Captain Rubel and further oral sources emerged later. However, there were alternative perspectives on the conquest of Africa. In the late 19th century, written by men and women who challenged the supposed purity of white. Western culture, Western African newspapers such as the Lagos Weekly, but Lagos Weekly is in Nigeria. Uh, weekly, well, Lagos is Nigeria capital record, and Sierra Leone was also capital of Africa. Weekly news provide an outlet for voices, cultural and colonial rule, and the Western racism, writers, and fingers such as Edward Wilmot Blyden, eighteen thirty-two to nine twelve, worked as a British individuals and institution into campaigns to promote a better understanding of Africa in Britain. Blyden was born in the West Indies and lived in the Americas until 1850, but he spent his adult life as a writer, intellectual and statesman in Liberia. Lagos and Sierra Leone is also known as a founder of Western African nationalism and a campaigner for black history writing. Blyden argued that Africans were people with distinct culture and history who could not be made European. The African Society was founded in 1901 to educate British society about Africa. But as a review of the society written in 1935 noted, the society did not thrive well. Lectures upon African subjects and customs of the natives did not attract Londoners. Shelford, 1935, page 224. Read the extract from the speech made by Blyden to the African Society in 1903. Can you identify it and the ways which Blyden's version of African history and society challenges you to encountered in Encyclopedia Britannica, reading 514. Blyden challenges the association made in European scientific between physical characteristics and mental capacity. Blyden sees the simplistic association to be the result of superficial knowledge and unthinking assumption of European superiority. 1903, page 363. This he argues, has blinded Europeans to the facts of Africa as an institution in history worth of study. Blinded encounters representation of Africa as a godless and reminds listeners of the ancient association between Africa and God. 30 minutes ago, when then, in Blinded's opinion, happened in Africa to destroy this history, Blinded became well known for his argument that this encounters with Europeans had caused degeneration in Africa. He argued that Europeans had ruined Africa by destroying its institutions and attempted to remake Africa in European style. His arguments about Europe and Africa were complex and they changed much during the course of life. In a similar way to the Irish cultural nationalists you encountered in Book 2, Chapter 6, he drew on the elements from history. From 
the African history to support the cause of African nationalism. But his argument that contact with Europeans led to African degeneration and a different perspective then needs to be considered. 255. Sources have encountered on Benin and the artworks may be biased, but in tracing the way they are partial. The historian can identify ideas about Benin developed African uh, continents that were seen by Europeans are less civilised or discussed in the press and popular debate, and they're also subject of academic disclosure. Uh, discourse, in particular in the new discipline of the anthropology, views might differ, and the most commentators operated with uh, rationalised systems of knowledge. Cultural institutions such as museums and encyclopedias gave certain representations credibility. History means understanding. The range of arguments put forward and used in context to see which ones gained predominance and why. In this chapter, we have explored Benin artworks. It arrived in Europe and they came to be disturbed across the continent. Their arrival was sudden revelation. But the first response in Europe was to try and fit them into existing accounts of Africa and of human development, particularly those deriving from the emerging discipline of anthropology its careful study challenged every assumptions the artworks continued to be understood with existing rationalist frameworks of thought and to be used to pursue institutional and imperial agendas in chapter 5-2 you will consider how the changing relationship between Europe and Africa has impacted on the state of bronzes as art as resulted in questions over whose cultural property there might be Page two five. The arrival of Benin in art in Europe. Reading five one one, the horrors of Benin City. Benin is indeed a city of blood. Each compound having its pit full of dead and dying human sacrifices were strewn about every hand. Hardly a thing without red stain, and one road was lined, and on each side with more than sixty victims. The city consists of a number of huge compounds of oblong shapes surrounded by walls made of red mud and nine inches thick and of extraordinary strength. At the top of these compounds there was usually a covered space, the ground underneath being raised about two feet. Here the people of Benin hold their hideous rites to their gods or fetishes. Izzy, Lizzy were arranged along the wall and comprised elephants, tusks of carved figures of ivory, brass and bronze, having the most grotesque appearance. In the centre of the sheltered part was an orifice, um, from the sides of which blood was streaming. I must not omit to mention huge crucifixion trees, which were in the wide road leading past the compounds, and on with the remains of the victims could still be seen. The blood of the countrymen has been avenged, and a system of barbarism rendered hideous by the most savage, horrible, and bloodthirsty customs of that even Africa can show has been beneath effectually broken up. <coughs> now, that the, now that the cause of civilization has been advanced in the benighted district, the only wonder was that the state of these things should have been allowed to exist so long. Reading 5.12 Benin Antiquities at the British Museum. An exhibition of remarkable kind was arranged within the last few days of British Museum. 
in the Azarian basement and part of the building better known to those who attend lectures than them to general public. The bronzes from Benin, now shown, have to be little in common with the rest of the contents of the room, and an expedition is such uncongenial surroundings is only due to one of any other gallery which temporary di um, display of this kind can be made. The two long screens in the middle of the room are covered with bronze and brass plaques, about 300 in number. The rich figures in high relief cast slightly finished by tooling, which both by novelty of subject and technical perfection of the art and surpassing evidence of the skill. Skill even. I believe it's two sec, um, 25 minutes. I'll be all with you all. And a Benin native in the castings of metal from time to time, time, strange, fantastic carvings in ivory or in wood, and more rarely objects in bronze, have come from parts of the coast of the West Africa, and all large collections have a few such pieces which could not be assigned to any of the unknown tribes. These are what, um, these we know to have been made in Benin. As the numerous objects that have been brought home by officers, and a recent expedition have precisely the same strange appearance and are designed in the same fantastic style. Among the figures of natives are some which are deserving a special mention, notably one type in which the figure, which otherwise resembles the rest, has in the place of the two um, has in place of two legs, two snakes, and the head of which curve upwards on either side, recalling in a striking manner monstrous figure. Found upon the Gnostic gems, Roman period amulets carved from hard, often semi-precious stones, with images of deities and demons and short Greek inscriptions. And this is a special meaning, and there can be no doubt. It occurs upon several of the bronzes, and every one of the many tusks that form that considered part of the Benin spoils had the same figure repeated upon it in different ways. Whether there was at any time a link between the brutal savages, brutal savages of Benin and the Gnostics in every question, not easily to solve. It is hard to believe, but the consistence is not the less remarkable. There was a faint hope among those who thought it was possibilities that among the loot of Benin might be found some traces and more ancient civilizations of North Africa drifted down among the unheeding Negroes. There was trade routes which served the time of memorial as the avenues by which the great nature, uh, natural riches of the central Africa reaches the Mediterranean. No such treasures have appeared, but in their place we have an entirely unexpected phase of Negro craftsmanship. Also, West Africa, Ashanti, especially, is noted for its metalworks. Twenty minutes ago, reading on the British loss of antique antiques of the art from Benin. I'll record it, so some of you think I'm playing taking a lot of in. I'm not. It's because I'll record it, I'll listen to it back. When the return of the members of the Peninsula Expedition, it became known as the fine specimens of bronze castings and ivory and wood carvings had been found in the old city of Great Benin. Mr. Charles H. Red, the keeper of antiquities at the British Museum, which with characteristics energy, at once endeavoured to secure for the national collection good representative specimens of, the, of these bronzes, and he succeeded in gathering together the finest collection of the plaques that is to be found in any museum, but owning to want the proper 
pecuniary support. You were not only able to obtain possession of any of the more expensive, many many more expensive, many more cases equally interested articles. Not only was national institution thus deprived of its lawful acquisitions, but at the same time another government department sold for a few hundred pounds a large number of cartons, which had the cost of thousands to obtain. Moynihan, as well as much blood of a fellow countryman, hence it was the many in Benin's articles, are not represented at all. Bloomsbury, from what I can ascertain, the bulk of the bronzes had been secured by the Germans. When's the Queen's birthday? Is it today? For many years, from the Germans, have foreseen that a study of native races and their development, a study known to us under the awkward name of anthropology is essential to every civilised community which trades with, always called upon to govern native communities. Politically, it is of the first importance of the government officials should have, although a thorough knowledge of the native races subject to them, and this is the knowledge that anthropology can give them, for such knowledge can teach them uh, what methods of government and what forms of taxation are the most suited to particular tribes or to the state of civilization in which we find them. In connection with this, there can be only no doubt that adequate knowledge, much spilled bloodshed, could have been saved in the past, both on our, front, our frontiers and in our colonies. In certain of the characteristics mentioned above, the Negro would appear to stand on a lower evolutionary plane than the white man, and to be more closely related to the highest anthropoids. The characteristics are length of the arm for the prognathism, a heavy massive cranium with a skull with large sigmatic arches. The flat nose depressed at the base and see but in one point of respect the character of the hair. The white man stands in close relation to the high apes than does the negro. Mentally the negro is inferior to the white. The remark of F. Manetti made after a long study of Negro in America, may be taken as a generally true of the whole race. The Negro children were sharp, intelligent and full of vivacity. But the approach in the adult period, gradual change is set. The intellect seemed to become the clouded. Animation given the place of the sort of the lethargy, briskness, yielding of the indolence. We must necessarily suppose the development of which Negro and White proceeds on different lines, while within the latter of the volume of the brain grows with the expansion of the brain, brain pan. In the form of the growth, the brain is of the contrary arrest by the premature closing of the cranial structures, uh, sutures of the lateral pressure of the frontal bone. The explanation is reasonable and even probable as contribution cause. I just want to highlight something here. About the brain. Oh, I like that. That's powerful. That's why I'm so intelligent, you see, my brain's just growing. <laughs> but evidence is lacking the object and the rest of the deterioration of the mental development is no doubt very largely, uh, no doubt, very largely due to the fact after purely sexual matters to take the first place in Nego's life and thoughts at the same time, same time environment has been, uh, been such and would tend to produce in him the, the restless energy which was led by the, to the progress of the white race 
and easily condition of tropical life and fertility of the soil have we um, reduced the struggle of existence to a minimum. But though the mental inferiority of the Negroes to the white or yellow races is a fact, it has often been exaggerated. The Negro is largely a creature of this environment and is not far to judge on the mental capacity by tests. In a mental arithmetic, skill is reckoning is necessary to the white race and is cultivated this faculty. But it's not necessary to the Negro. On the other hand, Negroes far surpass white men in acuteness of vision, hearing, sense of direction and topography. A native who was once visited a peculiar locality which really failed to recognise it again. For the rest, the mental constitution of the Negro was, is very similar to that of a child. Normally goes natured and cheerful, but subject to sudden fist of emotion and passion, during which he is capable of performing, of performing acts of singularity, aristocity, impressionable, vain, but often exhibiting in a capacity of servant dog, like fidelity, which has stood to the supreme test, given suitable training, the Negro is capable of becoming a craftsman of considerable skill, particularly in metal work, carpentry and carbon. The bronze casting of the CR produce process and the cups and horns of ivory, elaborately carved, which were produced by the natives of Guinea. After the intercourse with the Portuguese of the 16th century, bear ample witnesses of this. But the rapid decline and the practical evan essence of both industrials, when their intercourse was interrupted, shows a native craftsmanship was raised for the moment above his normal level by direct foreign inspiration and was able to sustain high quality of the work when that inspiration failed. Scientific Europeans who have any time to give it to the subject at all, look upon a being whose physical characteristics are so different from their own possessing also mental peculiarities, which requires special study. The unthinking European partly from super, superficial knowledge and partly from the profound belief, not, not only in an absolute racial difference, but in his own absolute racial superiority, rushes to the conclusion to the conclusion that the difference of external appearance implies not only a physical difference, but an inferior mental or physiological constitution, and that man uh, possessing it must be by assiduous culture by the European be brought up to the level of his teacher. Europe has so long been taught by regard to people who drink the waters of the, uh, of the Niger the Gambia and the Congo, who dwell on the borders of the lakes and roam the plains of Nigeria as hopelessly degraded, that it came to a surprise, to it, not a few agreeable surprise, to learn that the, these people had institutions worthy of study, of respect and of pres uh, preservation, which we consider the zeal and energy, which as generous Europeans have the last hundred years been trying to introduce religion into Africa. It is an interest to look back at the ancient times and the study of the place which the continent then occupied the religious history of the world. It is many years, many years, uh, many ages that the seat and centre of religious impulse so regarded 
it would appear by the Almighty himself, as we are taught in the Bible and by the gods of Greece and Rome, as taught by the poets, the founders of the Hebrew religion, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. They received religions instruction in Egypt, the greatest of all prophets and helpless infancy sheltered in Egypt. Great kings and warriors went to Africa to learn the will of God and the oil of Jupiter, Ammon. Alexander the Great did homage to it and made costly offerings at its shrine. The opinion then is throughout the civilised world of what that time. Among the most enlightened nations of Greece, Asia and Egypt, was a God revealed himself only in Africa that he buried his great truce. In Arabic sands, in Africa is the last home of the devil, as it being recently said, it was the first home of God. Now things have so changed that this is the opinion of some that God is everywhere except in Africa. The final chapter of Benin moves away from discussion of history as such to refocus on the question of art. What makes the uh, annexation of Benin and the looting of its treasures a coarse celebrity? Even today is the value of what was taken away considered simply on a financial level. Works are the change of hands of the extraordinary amounts of money. But art is widely seen as a transcending, more economic value. This can be characterised as for air. Aesthetic value, sometimes it may be talked of actual spiritual value. In certain expectational cases, works of art may become to symbolize the values of an entire people or civilization, such in this case the art Benin. It is different dimension that gives contemporary debate about the brass or plaques, its urgency. At the end of this chapter, such issues are briefly raised and are dis uh, discussed further in related online materials. But first I want you to look at the relation of the Benin sculptures and of Africa art and more generally to the modern art in, in the West. In what it is widely acknowledged that African art had been profound impact on modern art, avant-garde artists as eminent as Pablo Picasso, 1881. Modern, 1881, 1973, Henry Mutassi, uh, 1869 to 1954, and the sculptor Constantin Brancusi, 1876-1957, owed an explicit debt to a writer of African artworks encountered in the early, uh, early years of the 20th century, influenced both by the example and through renewed encounters with African original in museums. Later, artists working in the 1920s and 30s continued to the mine African are of a range of formal experiments and expressive effects. It, it would be natural to assume that the Benin sculptures, which are among the most sophisticated works of the art to have been made in Africa and which were widely known in Europe and would have been on the forefront of the African influence on the modern art, yet they were not the reasons they were not, however, can tell us a great deal about some of the core values of the modern art and about relation of European culture to Africa more generally. In the terms of relation between African art and the modern Western avant-garde, the Benin sculptures are the exception that, that proves the rule. There are numerous stories of how avant-garde artists first encountered non-Western art. The French painter Paul Gorgian, 1848-1903, 
whom he encountered in relation to Van Gogh in Book 1, left Europe in the 1890s and spent the rest of his life working in Polynesia, incorporating exotic motives and forms into his pictures. In Germany, the first decade of the 20th century, a group of young artists in Dresden, known as the Bruck and Bridge, discovered carvers and other artefacts in the South Pacific and Africa in a local ethnographic museum and incorporated their stylist features of their own paintings and sculptures. In Paris, around 1905, André Durain acquired an African mask from a fellow artist who had come across in a local cafe and showed it to the Matisse and Picasso, among others. The pet, this is what I'm saying, these paintings are terrible. I'll show you in a minute. Absolutely terrible. Picasso himself, overwhelmed by a visit of Tequada Museum, where he encountered many masks and what were called dusty mannequins. Quoted in Richardson, 1999, 1996, page 11, C figure 7. More interested in circumstantial details of these encounters, however, is a new question of why the artists were so affected by what they saw. Look at this. A bit of art by Van Gogh. An artist is an artist. And there's nothing we can do about it. Modern and primitive. Modernity. Which is first emerged in Paris in the mid-19th century. Modern art was primarily a... Primarily a response to urban circumstances, new technologies, emerging obsession with commodities and fashion, and exacerbated, exacerbated class conflict. All these add up to experience of life, and could not adequately be, uh, be dealt with the language of the classical tradition. As early as 1846, the poet Charles Baldaria had written of the written of the heroism of modern life. 1998, um, and in visual art, it is possible to see the work of Edward Manet and then the Impressionist as a response. Manet walked the Paris bulbyards with a top hat and cane, observing the edginess of urban existence. Edgar Degas insensibly represented the tension inherent in the scenes of the modern work and the leisures in bars. Caps, theatre, and laundry before he turned painting natural subjects such as water lilies and high stacks. Claude Monet had worked out a new visual language, Impressionism, in which to capture the fleeting sensation of modernity, the experience of crowded street or the smoke railway station. But for some years, for the new generation of artists coming to the fore in the late 1880s and 1890s, Vitality seems to have drained out the representations of modern life. Just as long as academic tradition in art, introduced in Book 1, Chapter 7, Van Gogh, had lost its vitality, replaced by the new forms of life associated with urban modernity, now it seemed modernity itself could not sustain the sense of fulfilled and expanse life, but become cramped, constrained and conventionalised. Alienation had become to define the experience of modern life. In the words of German psychologist Max Weber, modernity, modern heroes, and modernity was a way of coming to the iron cage rather than the place of modern heroes. Weber 
2003, page 128. In the Christ of the Modern, what can we find is a certain artist of their avant-garde sought to find a way out of the problem by looking back. It is there that we can begin to piece together an answer to our question about the Benin sculptures of modern art. That is why there are exceptions to the rule about profound African influence on modern art. The idea of primitive art is it was a situation that was positive value of the primitive rose. If Furfo primitive had been a spiritual synonym for barbaric, not many years before the Victorian critic John Ruskin had also said that there has been no pure and precious ancient art in Africa, Asia or America. Ruskin, 1857 to page 121, the concept of art, this is to say, was largely reserved in the European Christian tradition. Fine art was identified in, Europe, in European post-Renaissance tradition with, above all, painting and sculpture, and painting in turn meant representation, belief, these illusions of figures in coherent space, with sculptures similarly identified with the representation of idolized bodies. In the bronze or marble, the qualification largely in the sentence above is merited because of the grey area. It's presented by the architecture, book illustration, poetry and textual design of manifestly sophisticated cultures such as those Islamic and Chinese and Indian. I've got literally last page. Nonetheless, there was not seen properly producing fine art in the Western sense. There was, of course, no question about all, all, all about Africa, of the island of South Pacific for most Europeans. They simply had no art. Look at figures six and seven. Imagine you are middle class Victorian with controversial tastes. Do you think you would be inclined to be regarded to the objects of both these images as uh, works of art? If not, try to say why not. We're going to look at figure six. We've got Donatello. David, Spons, height six. Donatello. Display of three figures. Enemies. Page two seven nine. I'm happy because I just finished that. Here's <laughs> my reading. Here's my reading for the day. He still is oh Ash Ash not actually on cast. But anyway, that is my reading for today. Extra naughty. I'm like a strawberry. Yes, you know it. Oh my goodness! What a show! What a cast! You beauties. What have we got? What have we got in store?